Have you ever been stuck in one of those ruts that you can't get out of? I'm talking about being depressed, being discouraged, or maybe it's just one of those moments where you think, dear Lord, what have I got myself into? Someone once said a rut is like a coffin with both ends knocked out. I've been in one of those coffin-like ruts. It's an awful place to find yourself. My rut lasted nearly a decade. I want to talk about that today in this podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast where I take my articles and I put them in an audio format. Some people like to read. Other people like to listen on the run. Others do both. Well, you have those three options. You can read a full transcript of this podcast if you want to. Go to rickthomas.net. Look for the article, same as the podcast title, Four People Types Who Get Stuck in a Rut. I want to introduce four different people to you. All four of them have the same problem. The common thread that weaves through all of their lives You may could say the common rut that weaves through all of their lives is they're stuck in a rut and they can't get out. If you would like to chat about this podcast, please let me know, and I would be glad to chat with you. We have a team of folks, our staff, and you can talk to us. We have public and private forums that you can jump on. If you're not a supporting member, not part of our community, you can talk freely. There's no catch or charge. Just get on our public community forums and say, hey, I I would like to chat about this, and please do, and we will serve you with joy. If you are a supporting member of our ministry, well, we have a private forum for those who underwrite all that we do. Thank you very much for that. Get on the private forum and ask your question, and we will answer it. We are responsive. We're one of those ministries. We're not just churning out resources. All ministries churn out resources, but we don't want to just put knowledge out in cyberspace. We want to interact with you because I have learned after a lot of trying and failing and a little bit of succeeding that I need more than just resources. I need somebody that I can talk to. I need another person on the other end of the line, and so we do that. I, it's, it's the same way that I do my conferences. I tell folks in conferences, I don't want to monologue I don't want to get up and just do my thing. Everybody does that. I want to interact with you. And if you've been to one of my conferences, you know that that's an option. And you can ask questions. And it's really wonderful, to be honest with you. We can go left or right. It's not me mapping over you what I want to do. But it's us interacting together. And when that happens, I know that I'm hitting the nail on the head because you are the one that's asking the questions. And so we want to serve you. And that's what this ministry does. And so if you have a question, please, please ask it. All right, let's talk about rut living. Living in a rut. Now, maybe it's not you, but if you just look around, go to your church meeting on Sunday morning and pay attention and 
or ask God to bring someone into your life, and here's what's going to happen. There will be somebody coming to you, and they're just stuck. Seasons like this make walking with God hard. Prayers seem to be the vain exercises of the religious, while faith is more of a memory from a blissful past. Rut living leads to rote religion, and that is a huge danger. If you don't know what else to do, you resign yourself to checking the box and going through the motions. You're stuck. You know that you can't go back to your pre-Christian life, and who wants to do that? But securing victory seems impossible. You're somewhere in the middle between your former manner of life, that which you used to do, and victory in Jesus. What saved always saved feels like a trap. You see this idea with the Hebrew nation during their time of wilderness wandering. God had redeemed them from the paganism of Egypt. They had a new life, but it was a hard life, and they were tempted to quit. When you're going through deep trials, God and God appears not to be on your side, the temptation to walk away from your faith can be substantial. This is part of why the Hebrew writer said in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, here's what it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Have you hardened your heart? Have you heard the Spirit's voice, but yet you did not respond to him because the testing was too great? Well, this is what the Hebrews were going through. I have quit God many times in my life. I put quit God in quotation marks because the truth is a Christian can't quit God. You are saved eternally if God has regenerated you. Though I think my suffering threshold is high because the Lord has written a lot of suffering into my narrative, there are limits. Occasionally, I will see a young 20-something worshiping the Lord with all his might in a church meeting, and two thoughts can run through my mind. It doesn't always run through my mind, but I have had these two thoughts at different times. One is gratitude for the affection that that individual has for the Lord. Praise God! A 20-something has affection for God. That is a wonderful thing. But then I've also had this thought, too. How will they respond when things become really hard? Now, I know that teens and young singles can act as if the complexity of life could not be more difficult. Well, they have yet to live. Though they can create and talk about 24-7 drama, they do not know the difficulties of life like those who are a decade or two ahead of them. The real hard times have yet to come to their door. Now, if you are one of those 20-somethings and you're put off by this, this is what I want you to think about. Turn around and look backward. Think about those who are 10 years younger than you are. I mean, even my children have done this. They have little people come into their life that are three, four, five, six, seven years of age, and and they know these little kids have challenges and hardships and complexities and difficulties. But even my teenagers know that 
Child, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I know within each season of life, it seems like we're at the limit of our drama, and we probably are. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And for the child, he gives child limits. For the teenager, he gives teenage limits. And for the 20-something, you have 20-something limits. But the real hard times truly have not come to your door. Now, I'm glad for the young people who have authentic faith and rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord for them and with them. But the real people who stir my soul are those who have experienced some of life's fiercest battles and continued to exalt God. David said it this way in 34.3, Psalm, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I want those who have walked down a hard path and failed. David failed. This kind of faith is a feat of grace. They have not become hard like many who have gone before them. Though many dangers, toils, and snares, or through many dangers, toils, and snares, they built their hope on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. They say what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal that's the view And those are the folks that I want to learn from. They have gone through the fiercest battles, and they do not lose heart. But some people live in a rut, and maybe it's not the rut that they have created. Maybe it has been created for them. Today, I've received three different emails from abused women living with harsh, unkind, mean husbands. This is the kind of traffic that we receive on a daily basis. I'm not going to share that with you. Of course not. But these women have left their fathers and mothers and cleaved to their husbands. Their husbands swore they would protect and love them through thick and thin. Now these women are older. They have children who have also been affected. There appears to be no way forward, and as one wife asked me plainly, quote, can I divorce my husband, end quote, she wants to go back to her previous life, to a day when the sun was brighter and the grass was greener. She entered into marriage thinking God was on her side and things would be okay. Well, guess what? She is not sure anymore. She is not sure about her husband, her marriage, her future, or her God. She's hurting. She's confused. She's stuck in a rut. Life has turned sour for her. Her story is not an isolated event of a miserable person who feels trapped in a marriage. There are millions of people like her. People trapped in bad marriages, debilitated bodies, impossible jobs, and challenging lives. 
When the horrible things of life converge on your soul and do not leave, the typical tendency is to figure out an an exit strategy. Now, this tactic is how I thought. When my rut years came, my primary desire was to escape. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't think about an exit strategy, but I am saying that you want to learn God is the author of your story, and you want to learn what he has written into your script. One of the hardest things for me to do is to take note copious notes, to learn what God is saying, to learn the lesson or the lessons in many cases. I have learned through personal experience as well as hundreds of hours of counseling individuals that four specific people types are easily tempted to live in a rut. And that's why I titled this podcast, Four People Types Who Get Stuck in a rut. And what I want to do in the remainder of this podcast is I want to walk through those four people types. Let me list them for you and then we'll take them in order. Number one, a person who ex- whose experience is greater than Christ, meaning their problems is, are greater than Christ's grace. Number two, a person who lives in a conditional love system. Number three, a person who believes they deserve better. And number four, an individual who is pre-wired to live in a rut. That's a bit complicated. We'll get there in just a moment. Let's take number one. My experience is greater than Christ. A person whose experience is greater than Christ. If I were to sketch out what this person's life looked like on a piece of paper, I would draw a large letter P, the letter P, capital P, in the center of the page. The P would stand for the problem. Then I would write the word Christ in small letters at the bottom right corner of the page. This kind of rut dweller is problem-centered. Let's call her Mabel. When you're around Mabel, the first thing you hear from her is what is going wrong in her life. In fact, it's the only thing you hear from Mabel. Christ is small in her world. Now, I understand why she does this. It has to change if, if she wants to change if she wants to change to get out of her rut. And so you can understand what's going on and why she does it, but you must also push farther than that. Her problems are significant, no doubt. Her challenges are involved, and there seems to be no end in sight. Mabel reminds me of what the Hebrew Christians were experiencing. These new converts were facing insurmountable and unending persecution. The author desired to show them a new and better way. The letter of the Hebrews is a template for how you counsel the persecuted and the afflicted today. The theme of the message is, regardless of what you're going through, Christ is better and you are asked to draw near to him. You see that in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, but in our weaknesses he can sympathize in every respect. He's been tempted. 
As a counselor, you cannot draw back or undersell the greatness of Christ. He is the only right answer regardless of what a person may be experiencing. We have no other solution. Christ is our apology. He is our defense. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. When you talk about what is going on in your life, what is more prominent, your problems or your Christ? And so number one, a person who is stuck in a rut, their experience, what they're going through is greater than Christ. Number two, a conditional love system, a person who lives in a conditional love system. We're all legalists at heart. Regardless of what we are going through, regardless of our upbringing, regardless of our religious environment, we struggle to live in a good and functional understanding and practice of God's gospel. We are people pleasers who want affirmation or acceptance from others. We were trained this way because of our Adamic inheritance. We've learned this kind of thinking because of our most influential relationships. It's a one-for-one system. I do good, I receive good. If I do wrong, I receive bad in return. This conditional love system does not account for the grace that comes to us because of the gospel. Here's something that may be hard for you to accept. I'm going to, to ask it in a question that is directly from Romans 3.12. Paul said, all have turned aside, together have become worthless. Do you know you are worthless? And Christ gave you what you did not deserve. It is hard for some people to accept the fact they are no good outside of Christ. Jerry Bridges said it this way. He said, grace is no longer grace if God is compelled to withdraw it in the presence of human demerit. Such a person has been trained to crave approval, acceptance, affirmation, and significance from others. These cravings put them under the spell of what people think about them. It's a draining and unloving system that was never meant to satisfy the longing soul. A person stuck in a conditional love system will always be ensnared by their slavish desire to have their love cup filled by another human being. And because no one can love them the way God can, they are stuck in a rut. Intellectually, they may tell you how God loves them. Functionally, the incredible power and grace of God do not control them. Let me ask, does God's love for you overwhelm the imperfect love of your closest relationships? Why or why not? Four people types that are stuck in a rut. One, the person who believes their experience, their difficult experience is greater than Christ's grace. Number two, the person that lives in a conditional love system, always seeking the approval of others. Number three, the person who says, I deserve better. A person who believes they deserve better. One of the quickest ways to experience depression is to think you deserve better than what you're getting. 
Most Christians have not received the training for living in a cursed world. A person who believes they deserve better than what they are getting will always have warfare going on in their soul. This sad truth is not a call to resignation. I am not asking, suggesting, or saying that you should resign yourself to the hopeless life that you're living, assuming you are in a hopeless situation. When you get the negative diagnosis, you should fight for your life. If someone is abusing you, it's imperative for you to resist with all your might. When evil comes to your life, it's always right and biblical to figure out how to escape from those complexities. Paul prayed this way. And so did our triumphant Savior in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, or in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh to leave. In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup from me. I think sometimes people become confused on how to think about living victoriously in a sinful world when self-esteem teaching converges with prosperity gospel teaching the Christian mind becomes convoluted and confused. Typically, typically, a person who has a high view of themselves, that's self-esteem, while thinking they should have a good life, prosperity gospel, is headed for a deep rut. Paul and Jesus had a sound theology of suffering. They did not look for trouble. They did not wallow in worm theology but they fixed their minds on sovereign Lord, so when bad things came their way, they were prepared to endure. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 1.9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul looked to get out of his trouble, but he did not despair in his trouble. He knew what God was doing. When disappointment comes your way, can you readily rely on him who raises the dead? Three people, t- three people types who are tempted to live in a rut. The person who believes that their horrible experience is greater than Christ. The person who lives in a conditional love system, always caving looking for the approval, acceptance, love, respect of others, the person who believes that they deserve better, and then finally the fourth person, the small soul. A person who is pre-wired to live in a rut. In Mark fourteen seven, Jesus said, For always the poor will be with you, There will always be poor people with you. Now, this is another thing that you don't want to resign yourself to, but you want to accept the reality that the poor will always be with you. Our government, our culture needs to understand this. No, we don't want to be poor. We don't want to accept poorness as far as resigning yourself to it, but we want to live in the reality that the poor will always be with you. How comfortable are you with your pre-wiring? I'm talking about how God made you. 
everyone's not the same. We have poor people and we have wealthy individuals. Yes, the poor will always be with us. Now, please don't upload this or hear what I'm not saying. We want to do better. We want to reach out to the poor, but we want to live in reality. In Acts 17.26, it says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. There is a sovereign God. There are some things that he predetermines. How comfortable are you at being a sovereignist? God dropped you into this world at a particular time for a specific place, in a specific place. Are you okay with how he made you and where he placed you? Let's take it up a notch. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Encourage the faint-hearted. Now think about this for just a moment. The word faint-hearted in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 means small-souled. We have soul sizes. How comfortable are you with your soul size? Now, I realize this is a subjective question that I'm asking you, but how comfortable are you with your soul size? We're not all rich, and we all do not have enormous Jesus-esque or Paul-esque souls Jesus and Paul had large soul capacities, which is not an odd thought. We're all different physically. I am not seven foot something, and I, I'm not coordinated to where I can play basketball. So why should we not be different spiritually? It stands to reason that God predetermined our internal wiring for specific purposes Romans 9.21 says, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honor and another for dishonorable use? Now, I've said this a couple of times already. I'm going to say it one more time. This truth is not a call for resignation as though you can't change, can't grow, can't mature in Christ. Christians never give up. We're always seeking to be all we can be in Christ, to be all we're supposed to be. To do otherwise would be unbiblical. But some of us have specific personality types that can tempt us to rut living. The key for all of us is to how we focus. It's our focus. Our experiences, shaping influences, poor theologies, and Adamic wirings do not control us ultimately. Christ controls us. If you're stuck in a rut and can't get out, you're making a negative commentary about the grace of God. I do not mean to be harsh. I do not mean to be uncaring, but God's word is true. Christ is a more sure anchor and if these other anchors of life are keeping you in a rut, the first thing you need to do is address the rut things, these rut things that I have mentioned. Ask yourself the questions. You're living in a rut. 
Is your negative experience greater than the, than the grace of God? Do you live in a conditional love system where you need, you must have the approval and acceptance of other people? You're putting yourself in a rut. Do you believe that you deserve better? Do you have a certain soul size to where you're easily tempted toward discouragement and despondency? to fear, to anxiety, to worry. You must address these rut things. There is something broken regarding your relationship with Christ if you are living in a rut. Again, I don't mean to be harsh here. I don't want to be unkind, but I do want to be clear. Jesus is a new and living way. We read this in Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, a much, superior, having become much superior to the angels. We learn this throughout the book of Hebrews. Will you become desperate enough, honest enough, transparent enough, courageous enough, to make a break, to live in this new and better way. If you need help to do this, please reach out for help today. As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, if God is speaking to you today, please reach out. We probably can't change your circumstance, whatever it may be, but we will come alongside you and try to encourage you the best way that we can to help you out of the rut or to live powerfully in the rut. Talk to us. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.